listening to a podcast from the Cinema Geekly Podcast Network. We're the geeks you deserve and the ones you need right now. Boxlamp Carnival, apparently. He's got the underhook. It's a brand new episode of the Elitist Cinema Geekly's AEW Podcast. It is Anthony Lewis and Nick Montez, and we're back to talk more AEW Dynamite on TNT. Nick, we are on the uh, on the verge of a, a really big show, as it turns out. Next week's show, uh, they spent a lot of this show hyping it up, and it's going to be a pretty big show from the uh, their home base, the Sears Center in... Uh, Chicago, quote unquote, Illinois. It's really Hoffman Estates, I think. That's suburb of Chicago. Uh, but <laughs> you know, no one's gonna lie from Hoffman Estates, Illinois. No one's gonna say that. So Chicago, it is. Thank but it's a big show for next week. Wish they'd just call it. We are doing this in a suburb of Chicago. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> Welcome to suburban Chicago. Um, <laughs> That's what they used to do for the um, um, Palace of Auburn Hills. Welcome to, to suburban Detroit, Michigan. Yes, they would say that. To, they wouldn't. They they wouldn't lie either. They'd they'd say Detroit, but they they'd soften it by saying suburban Detroit. So they're right. <laughs> they're not. They're not lying, but they're not saying Auburn Hills. Uh, although you know, Auburn Hills doesn't sound all that bad to say. Like we're coming to you live from Auburn Hills, Michigan. Hoffman Estates sounds like we're coming to you live from an apartment complex in Illinois. Hoffman Estates. <laughs> like a rich people apartment complex is what it sounds like. Um, Very ritzy. I'm sure there's a lot of rich folk that live in Hoffman Estates. Like, you gotta be, right, to live in a place like that? Uh, Pretty sure, definitely. <laughs> let's talk about, uh, well, before we get there, we are not in Hoffman Estates. We are in Indianapolis, Indiana. For this week's episode. And once again, we get a hot crowd for AEW. And uh, the announcers run down the matches. And I noticed that the set is laid out different. Uh, a lot of it is the same, but they took the two video screens that used to hang above the entrances that displayed like the you know, like the character videos and stuff while their themes were playing. And they got rid of those entirely. They took the smaller video screen that was in between the two entrance tubes and they made it much larger. And it is now the main video screen. So they basically went from like a SmackDown fist set to like an NXT set or something. Yeah. They kind of, they impact tunnels. They kind of <laughs> changed it a little bit around. Yeah. Uh, and we open with Nick Jackson and Ray Phoenix. Crowd is super hot, I write down here. And uh, the story of this match is that Ray Phoenix, while uh, a tag team uh, wrestler with his brother Pentagon Jr., he is also a frequent singles wrestler and was recently the AAA Mega World Champion. Uh, whereas Nick Jackson has not had a singles match in four years. Uh, last competing in the best of the Super Juniors in New Japan was the last time that Nick Jackson had a singles match. So that was kind of the story of this match. There's a ton of one-upsmanship. Uh, early on, Nick Jackson goes for uh, an Escalera corkscrew moonsault to the outside, but he misses. Phoenix hits him with a rolling cutter on the floor. Uh, that's where Phoenix kind of takes control of this match. But Nick makes a comeback with a, a strike and bulldog combo. And uh, they continue to tell the story that Nick is out of his element. Like, he pause, he hesitates for a moment and looks to his corner. But there is no partner, of course. So he's, he's a little out of it. Uh, 
they do this crazy Hurricane Rana thing off of the top rope, uh, where Nick tries to do like Phoenix's rope walking, but Phoenix stops him, and then Nick pulls him up to the ropes with him, and then does the Hurricane Rana. Crowd was very impressed with this. Uh, he got a two count out of that strike exchange for a double down. Uh, Phoenix then gives Nick a Hurricane Rana to the outside. Uh, they get back in, and Phoenix hits another rolling cutter for a two. Uh, Nick does this deadlift German on the apron, does this gorgeous slingshot destroyer for a two, but right as Phoenix kicks out, he locks in a sharpshooter, but Phoenix gets to the ropes. Uh, Nick then goes for the tombstone, but it is reversed. Uh, Phoenix hits several kicks and then hits him with what I can only describe as a sit-out, a spinning sit-out muscle buster for the win. I think it has a name, but I did not catch it. But this was a crazy opener. Crowd was on fire. Uh, these guys are both great, and uh, I, I love this opener. What did you think? Ooh, that was a spicy meatball for a start. Of the sure show. was. I, I loved it. It was great, man. I, it's got me excited to see Phoenix and Pentagon get thrown into the mix of singles wrestlers, mm-hmm. and from time to time, letting the Bucks do that—that's not going to hurt them. As I know, they want to be mainly a tag team, but yeah. they should have singles matches here or there. It'd be nice to see one of them, maybe even get a title shot down the line, just because that'd be something new for them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I gave this one four stars. I thought it was one of the best matches on the show this week. Yeah, I went four and a quarter. Uh, nice, a great match, great opener, and. Uh, grapple a little bit lower than us with a 3.8, but I would say in that ballpark. Definitely. Uh, up next, we got, oh, I should note, after the match, uh, Nick reaches out to Phoenix for a handshake, and Phoenix considers it, but then opts to show no respect to Nick Jackson. <laughs> the crowd was not happy with this. Uh, we have not had a commercial break, and we will pay for that later. Uh, Britt Baker versus Hikaru Shida uh, is up next, and Jim Ross makes note that these are the top two ranked women in the AEW standings right now, with Britt being number one and Shida being number two. Uh, they wrestle. It concludes in a standoff. Uh, Sheeta then fights out of a lockjaw attempt where we finally hit our first commercial break. It's a picture in picture. Uh, and Britt works her over during the break. Uh, but somehow during all of this, she managed to get a bloody nose. I note here that seems to be going around a lot with women wrestlers lately. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, but on last week's NXT, they faked a broken nose with Aaliyah and Mia Yim got a legit broken nose all on the same show. So women with bloody noses is a, is a theme right now in the Wednesday night wars. Uh, he's really good about faking something and then having something real happen. I think that happened the same night as stone cold, Steve Austin. They set up a fake neck break for one of the Godwins at that year's SummerSlam. And then he ended up getting his neck broken in a match with Owen. Yeah. Gotta be careful with those. (laughs) Uh, Sheeta gained control just before the break. Uh, Britt cuts her off uh, when we come back. And uh, Britt hits a pendulum DDT for a two. Sheeta makes a comeback. She hits the PK uh, and goes for a pin. But Britt locks on the lockjaw. But Sheeta makes the ropes. She hits a swinging neckbreaker on Sheeta for a two. Uh, then Sheeta mounts a small comeback. She does the deal. She hits the Falcon Arrow, but Britt kicks out and then does a running knee strike to Britt for the win. So the number two ranked woman woman defeats the number one ranked woman. Uh, One would imagine that they, I guess, are building back towards a Sheeta and Riho match. It's weird uh, because none of the heel wrestlers, I think, are in the top five. I think I could be, I think maybe Nyla Rose is like number five or something, but, uh, doing a lot of face versus face matches with Riho lately. Uh, what did you think of Brit and Hikaru? This was the best Brit Baker match I've seen thus far. Um, I thought it was really cool. I loved the, uh, when she was going for the knee strike and she reversed into a lockjaw attempt and then that was countered. That was so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it was just great to see both of them rocking it out and seeing some good women's wrestling on the show. Mm -hmm. Um, I gave this one three and a half stars. It was a good match. Yeah, this one reached good levels for me as well. I'm a little bit lower than you. I went three. Uh, Grapple, close to me, I guess, 2.72. They did not like it as much. I know there's definitely a lot to work on with the AEW women's division. Uh, I talked about, I think I talked about it last time, or at least my theory that, you know, they've, uh, when they started, they did not have access to all of the high caliber women's wrestlers. They were WWE signed up almost all of them. And then the ones that they didn't impact wrestling signed. Uh, so, I mean, there are obviously some women in Japan and stuff that they haven't, uh, tapped, but, uh, and it's not like they're bad. Um, the women in AEW, they just don't have the, like the top tiered women's wrestlers. And the only way they're going to get that, I think at this point is if some more develop out in the independence or overseas and they get their eye on them before anybody else does. Or, uh, if some of these other women who feel like they're, they're being underutilized when their contracts run up, um, or if they want to jump to a bigger platform. Uh, I think that's probably the only way they're going to end up bolstering the roster. So it's going to be a slow tread, but I thought this was a good match. Uh, then we got what I described here as a dark order, short film slash infomercial. (laughs) Uh, so basically it's like this, this guy, he looked like he was in his late thirties still being picked on and uh, he gets on a, on a subway train and there's a a commercial on a screen on the subway. And it's, you know, are you, are you feeling looked down upon and left behind? Essentially, Nick dark order is a cult. It's a self-help cult uh, (laughs) where you can feel like a winner and be proud of yourself. You just need to join the dark order. Uh, I thought it was well made, and I wrote, I think I liked it, question mark? I'm not sure if I enjoyed it or not. I switched back and forth on this. What did you think of this uh, uh, This attempt to characterize the Dark Order? I was very clever. I wrote down uh, uplifting cult recruitment video yes. um, because that's exactly what it was. Yeah. Um, I think this is a wonderful idea. Um, they just need to start recruiting more people into it. And uh, <laughs> please, I, I want to see more of this. I think it's just the best. I thought it was a very well, like it felt exactly like those videos uh, that you see from like self-help people and stuff. The guy, whoever they got to do the actual presentation was tremendous. Like, Very Tony Robbins-esque. Yes. Uh, then we got the Dynamite Dozen Battle Royale, where the two final participants will battle next week and Hoffman Estates uh, to win a diamond ring. The consequences of that afterwards have not yet been explained. Uh, Fight for a diamond ring at Hoffman Estates. It sounds right, right in with the ritzy uh, background they got going on there. Indeed. Uh, you know, maybe this won't really be for anything other than the fact that this will be treated as like a very high profile match. Uh, the winner of which gets a very expensive uh, trophy and it will be a big boost in the rankings. So maybe uh, that's all this will end up being. I don't think it'll end up being for a title shot or anything. I don't think this is going to be like some sort of ring where they defend the ring, but what do I know? Maybe we'll see what happens. The participants, Hangman Page, Orange Cassidy, Chuck Taylor, Kip Sabian, Jimmy Havoc, Jungle Boy, Marco Stunt, Pentagon Jr., Sonny Kiss, Joey Janela, MJF, and William Gunn. <laughs> William Gunn. <laughs> yes. Uh, before the match starts, Christopher Daniels distracts Pentagon, pretending to be, uh, pretending to be uh, Ray Phoenix, and this uh, allows Pentagon to be dumped from the match early on. Uh, Jimmy Havoc 
gets tossed and then staples everybody because he's lost his mind. He's stapling people in the head and in the balls and in the webbing of the fingers and just stapling people everywhere. And no one is safe. He's stapling Billy Gunn. He's stapling Jungle Boy's foot. Doesn't matter. Uh, he just went crazy. Uh, and then we went to a break. Uh, during When we come back from the break, a bunch of people have been eliminated. And they show us that Joey Janela was eliminated by Sean Spears when he comes in and interferes and hits Joey with a chair to eliminate him. Uh, the story of this match is also that MJF is ruining everybody's fun. So earlier on, Sonny Kiss confronts Billy Gunn by shaking his ass in Billy Gunn's face. Now, of course, Billy Gunn is an ass man. So he was going to join in with this this ass dancing, but MJF threw out Sonny Kiss. And then Orange Cassidy confronts Billy Gunn and devastates him with kicks until MJF throws Orange Cassidy out and Billy Gunn is tired of MJF ruining people's funds uh, and uh, tries to toss MJF, but uh, that was a no-go. He manages to land on the apron. Wardlow comes out and uh, distracts Billy Gunn, who gets a buckshot lariat, and Page tosses him, but everybody loved Billy Gunn in this match, so they booed Hangman Page. Uh, I don't know why they did not have MJF eliminate Billy Gunn here. That would have made the most sense, but they didn't do it, so that was weird. Uh, other Some more people get tossed. It looks like it's supposed to be Jungle Boy and uh, Hangman Page is the last two. But, of course, everyone forgot MJF, which, you know, I didn't. But, you know, it's that old Battle Royal trope of the, you forgot this guy. Uh, he swoops in and just eliminates Jungle Boy, and it's Paige and MJF next week. What did you think of this Battle Royale? It was fun. It it wasn't, like, the best Battle Royale I've ever seen, you know. it's Yeah, it was there. I, I guess I, it was just there, kind of, yeah, I guess. Um I think it was a little bit hurt by them having to go to commercial, but since when is a battle royale like the most exciting thing ever? Mm -hmm. um, I thought some of the spots were cool. I thought you know the Sunny Kiss and Billy Gunn spot was great. That was fun. Mm -hmm. um, I think I, I I like the idea of MJF and Hangman going at it. Like that's a great pairing. I could totally see MJF walking out of Hoffman Estates with his big ring and bragging about it for ten years. Yeah. Um, I gave this one about two stars. So, I, uh... I, this is the first thing on the show that I had any real criticism about. And... I get that they wanted to do Bill, toss Billy Gunn in here for some fun. But he wasn't really treated like he was tossed in here for fun. He seemed like he was a bigger and, I mean, not just physically either, but he was a uh, bigger and better star than almost everybody in this ring. People were going crazy for him. And not only was he not in this for fun, he was like beating up dudes. He did like the roar spot with like everybody. And I think it made a lot of the, these guys not look so good. Uh, Billy Gunn is also 56 somehow does not look like he is 56, but he is. Uh, I think a lot of the stuff he did in here that they were doing for fun, I think kind of made some of those other guys. I mean, you can do that with some of the heels and you can do it with like Marco stunt. Cause he's small, but some of these other guys like uh, jungle boy and Janela and Hangman, even like uh, Chuck Taylor, uh, like, I don't think should be getting like absolutely pummeled by this guy. Uh, who's not even a regular roster member. I, uh, I mean, if anything, people know he's like office, like he's one of the agents or whatever. Uh, I don't think that was a particularly good look. And like I said, I think uh, th the smart move would have been to have MJF eliminate him because everybody's loving Billy Gunn. So have the guy that everybody hates eliminate him. But they didn't do that. 
I actually ended up liking this marginally better than you, though. I went two and a half. Oh, all right. Which, smack dab at average. Uh, Grapple 2.42 from the users of that application. Uh, then we get a recap of Scorpio Sky pinning Chris Jericho and his uh, tantrum afterwards. And then Jericho and Jake Hager come out. Uh, Jericho says that he is sorry for his conduct last week. Well, technically, Jake Hager says that he's sorry for him. Chris Jericho is incapable of saying the word sorry. Uh, And then, for the bulk of this, it just became a game of, can Jake Hager keep, keep his character together and not laugh? Because every time Jericho needed to say sorry for anything, he just put the mic back in front of Hager's face to say sorry. And he tried each and every time very hard to not crack up laughing. Uh, (laughs) Jericho says he has a big announcement and that it is that next week he will get his thank you. And it is going to, they're going to throw a big celebration and there will be streamers and balloons and fish tanks and clowns. It'll be a big party. Uh, SCU comes out. Uh, Scorpio Sky is on the mic. He says he is impressed by Jericho's apology. That it takes a big man to to admit when he's when he's been wrong, but he reminds him why he was so pissed off in the first place, why he threw this tantrum, and it was because Scorpio Sky pinned him. The crowd chants, "You got pinned." Says that. Uh, Scorpio Sky's life has changed dramatically after this pin. Uh, his phone was blown up. He's even got a date with his high school crush. <laughs> Can't remember her name. Mel- Melody? Mel- her, I wrote- Melody something. Uh, <laughs> oh, um, I, I wrote it down too. Melody Parsons. Melody Parsons. Uh, and the crowd chants Melody. Uh, Jericho... Oh, he says that he's a fan of Chris Jericho, though, and he didn't mean to embarrass him. Jericho said he wasn't embarrassed. And besides, he heard he heard that Melody gained weight since high school. <laughs> and Scorpio says he likes big butts, and he cannot lie. So this was a great recovery. Um, Jer- Jericho says that was as cute as Baby Yoda, which the crowd immediately also laughed at. And that's a spoiler if you've not seen The Mandalorian, but there is a baby Yoda in it. Although it is not Yoda, but it is a uh, a species member uh, of whatever Yoda species is. But there's a baby one in The Mandalorian, and everybody loves it. Um, I just wrote here, Jericho name-dropped baby Yoda. Put him over, <laughs> uh, puts over Scorpio Sky as a tag team specialist. Uh and says that they're, but they're going to have a singles match. And they reverse, SCU reverse psychologies Jericho into having the match next week and into making it a title shot. And uh, Scorpio then says he's going to make Le Champion. He will make him Le Bitch. And uh, the Inner Circle attacks. There's a Judas effect on Scorpio Sky. The Jurassic Express eh, kind of make the save. Jungle Boy and Marco stunt just run in and get killed. And then uh, everyone runs away when Luchasaurus makes it to the ring, except for Hager, who uh, stares him down, but then bails. Uh, What did you make of this whole promo segment? I thought it was very entertaining for the most part. Super sports entertained for this. Yes. Um, (laughs) Jericho with his best liar, liar, Jim Carrey impression when he couldn't say the word sorry. Yes. Was was just spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, what a that reference was the highlight of the night. I know, right? Well, that's what I thought of. I'm like, he's just going to keep pulling from Jim Carrey. He already got a little bit of the bubbly from him, so why not take uh, something yes. else? Yes. Um, yeah, this was great, man. Luchasaurus is over. People love Luchasaurus. It's really crazy, isn't it? It is. You wouldn't expect it. Would but... not have thought that when this company launched. And especially since he kind of looks like a super muscular, well, not super muscular, but a more muscular Seth Rollins. Like, Mm -hmm. he could do things without the mask, but people just love him in that mask with his green hair and tongue. He's a dinosaur, (laughs) man. Yep. He is. Yeah. 
But yeah, just a fantastic segment. I never would have thought that. I mean, I guess I should know better since I've been watching Jericho for like my whole life. But just it amazes me how entertaining he can stay. And I mean, it makes sense because I listen to him do his podcast all the time and stuff. He's definitely someone you want to hear out there. Um, so just making AEW a great place, I'd say. The um, they spared. They were so entertaining that I almost completely forgot that I wish they had done something different, but it's just the the serious, the world championship is the most serious thing. Uh, like, that mentality that I uh, that I have, like, the that New Japan feeling. They were mm-hmm. so entertaining, though, that I sort of forgot about it for a while. But I would like to point out that I think I would have just preferred if Scorpio Sky just automatically gets a world title match because he beat the fucking world champion. He pinned him to the mat and the first person to do it. You know, I'm a firm believer that if you pin the champion, you've earned yourself a title match, Uh, regardless of if you're a singles wrestler or if you're in the rankings, uh, it doesn't matter. You should get like new Japan does this all the time. If somebody pins Okada, in a tag match or if somebody pins him during a tournament where the title's not on the line or something, those people uh, ultimately end up getting title matches. So I would have just preferred they just do that instead of this thing where they sort of had to trick Jericho into giving it to him. Cause mm. you'd, you'd think that the AEW officials would be like, you, you got pinned. You've got to defend your title against this guy. He beat you. Um, but uh, they did not go that route. Fortunately for them, they were so entertaining that I didn't even think about it until afterwards. So, I, I actually originally thought Scorpio's going to come out there, Jericho's going to give him a match, but he's like, well, actually, they told me it was going to be a title match, and then he was going to throw another temper tantrum. You're right. They're so entertaining that I didn't even think about that again until you just brought it up. <laughs> yes. Um, we come back from commercial break, and Luchasaurus is going to have a match with the librarian, Peter Avalon, uh, Avalon cuts a terrible promo. It's like a, he's just like, I'm gonna turn you into petroleum, you fossil, or something. He did make a statement. He did make the statement. It looks like life found a way with you. Oh, he did. Yeah, he did. He did do that, which is appreciative. <laughs> Anytime you want to quote Jeff Goldblum from Jurassic Park. Uh, here's the match. Luchasaurus hit a question mark kick and hits him with a tombstone age for the win. I gave this one star because Luchasaurus managed to kick Peter Avalon and hit his move and nothing was screwed up. But there was like nothing to this. Do you have any I'm with you. do you have any detailed thoughts? <laughs> so many detailed thoughts. No, I, I gave it one star also for the same reason. Nothing offensive, but nothing really degrade. Grapple feeling very generous here, giving it 1.24. Uh, I, right. I would like to note, as I scroll through here, John Pine on Grapple gave this match five stars. <laughs> so that may have affected the ratings somewhat. Most of the ratings are, how, most of the ratings appear to be one star or a half star. That's how over Luchasaurus is five star squash matches, baby. Two moves. I feel like that's somewhat <laughs> of a troll. I'm gonna go with a bit of a troll there. That's a, skewed. Skewed are these grapple ratings a little bit. Uh <laughs> Up next, Proud and Powerful against Private Party in the Battle of the Double P Tag Teams. Uh, <laughs> Excalibur talks about uh, Matt Travis, the independent wrestler from New York who, who recently uh, passed away, and the tie-in between him and uh, these two tag teams. This is not something that would have ever happened, I think, in WWE. If both of these teams were in WWE and this happened to somebody they knew, I don't think they'd let them go out on TV and like openly talk about this sort of thing. So um, I thought that was interesting. Uh, we go to a picture in picture break almost immediately. Boo. I wrote, I hate <laughs> it when this happens in matches. Cause I feel like the beginning of the match um, and 
at least a middle point in the match and an end should all be things we get to see uh, on TV. And, uh, like, you can take breaks in the middle as long as we don't miss any of the key turning points. But I don't like that you just take a break right at the beginning. And worse off, I wrote here, they do some neat stuff I wish I could see and hear better during the (laughs) picture-in-picture break. Uh, then at some mm-hmm. point the picture and picture went away entirely. Like in the middle of this picture and picture break, we lost one of the pictures and the other picture was just the commercials. Uh, we come back from the break and proud and powerful are in charge. They trade Mark Quinn back and forth in a vertical suplex for like a minute and a half straight. That's cool. That was very <laughs> cool. Uh, and it ended in a Falcon arrow. And then another picture-in-picture break. What? Uh, We're paying for not taking those breaks earlier on. Uh, Then we finally get the hot tag to Isaiah Cassidy. He hits a slingshot, code red, and the ref stopped counting. Uh Uh-oh. I think Santana was supposed to pull at the foot of the referee, and maybe he even tapped his shoe or something, but we didn't see it. It just looked like he hit this move. The ref counted one, the ref counted two, and then the ref stopped counting and Ortiz did not get his shoulders up and they were just sitting there. It, mm-hmm. This is the second time this has happened in as many weeks. Not, not a good look. Uh, private party go for the silly string, but it failed. Mark Quinn's back failed him and they were unable to pull off the silly string and it felt like the match was falling apart for a little bit. They uh, distract the ref, proud and powerful do. They want to play some sock ball. But uh, Nick Jackson comes down, rips it away. Uh, private party hit gin and juice for the win. Uh, what did you think of the match, Nick? Uh, it was a little bit underwhelming. I was expecting a little bit more from both of these teams. Um, I was actually really excited for this match. Um, I do love that they both dedicated the, you know, the match to a fallen comrade, and that uh, they put his shirt on the ropes, and both, you know, teams showed respect to it beforehand. It was kind of cool to see LAX, you know, take things seriously for a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, but overall, I had, I think I only ended up giving this about two and three quarter stars, just because it just was really underwhelming. The commercial breaks took me out of it, and it hurt the match a lot. Yeah, understandable. Um, yeah, I went with three, uh, I recognize they were working hard, uh, but yeah, it just, once the code red thing happened, it kind of just fell, fell to pieces. Plus the commercial breaks really hampered things. Uh, grapple gave it a 2.69. Nice. Uh, they were, they were pretty close to you, I think, on that one. Uh, yeah. Post-match, uh, Sammy Guevara attacks Nick Jackson, who is still at ringside, and Dustin Rhodes comes in to make the save, and the baby faces all kind of clean house. Uh, I'll admit, uh, I am a little worn down now on the heels attack after the match, and then a bunch of good guys come in to make the save. I feel like they've done this too many times. I feel like I see like a variation of this at least once, but sometimes twice or more on every show. And while I, uh, while I, um, I like the idea of, you know, the baby faces have friends, uh, unlike in WWE where they don't, uh, I like, so it's nice to know that people make friends and that their friends will come and help them when they are in trouble. Uh, you can't do this too often because it's just, you know, it becomes a little bit of a retread. If you want to do something, you know, have them, you know, proud and powerful, they pick up private party or whatever and hit their finisher on them, but they don't, it's not a continued, it's not a continued assault. They just lay them out or whatever again after the match, but don't even do that. Uh, honestly, like that should be done very rarely because then that makes the, you can, you know, you got to worry, worry about maybe taking away the win. I think they're, you know, the idea here was proud and powerful lost, but we don't want, we want them to get some of their heat back. But 
you know, I don't know if they need to get their heat back right away. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like, you know, they could just lose this match and then maybe do something about it next week. Or, you know, there there are other ways around it. But, yeah, I, I wasn't a huge fan of it. I mean, I thought Dustin looked great in here, but, you know, they it's not like they don't do these things well, but they just do them a lot, it feels like. Um, the announcers run down the card for next week. Uh, it's, we've got our world title match. We've got, uh, the, the diamond ring match. We've got, uh, Kenny Omega and Pac in a rematch. And this takes us to a Kenny pre-tape, uh, where he's doing some benches with Michael Nakazawa spotting him. Uh, and he says that. Uh, Kenny's never really been known as a promo guy. He says he's not even really known as a hardcore guy. Feels like he's lost his way. And he has traced this back to the bastard Pac. And Pac beating him. Uh, Honestly, that feels disingenuous to me, if I'm going to be honest. You should trace it back to him losing to Jericho on the first show, and then Moxley coming out and beating him up. But... It does. I don't know. It doesn't feel like that's when Kenny lost his way. Uh, I mean, they were already talking about how Kenny lost his way during his entrance for the match with Pac at All Out. So, yeah, that felt weird. But you know, he says he's going to beat Pac next week. He's on a path to redemption. It begins next week. Good night and good bench. He says as he does comedy with Michael Nakazawa. Uh, I think Kenny's delivery and stuff is good, but I have no idea what kind of tone they're trying to set with his character. Like, he's trying to do this serious promo with Pac, and while the logic of it doesn't quite jive with me, you know, he was being serious about it, but then he's doing, like, this weird comedy weightlifting stuff with Michael Nakazawa at the same time. Like, is he a serious wrestler? Is he a goofball? Is he a goofball who sometimes wrestles seriously? I I don't know. It's weird. Like it's, it feels off to me. But uh, I don't know. What What did you think? I'm in the same boat. I think Kenny's kind of been all over the place, and I agree with you saying that Pac is the one that took took his uh, momentum. His momentum has been down since the first show, since Jericho, like you said. But I guess since he's not feuding with Jericho at the moment, he can't acknowledge that. And the same thing with Mox, since Mox just beat him. So maybe, in a way, you could look at it as Kenny just continuing to make excuses for himself and just trying to find something new. Well, if it wasn't that, it must be this. But I think that's giving the segment a little bit too much credit. I mean, possibly. I mean, Kenny Omega is like a multi-layered... He loves to tell his stories in multi-layered fashion and then kind of unfold them. So, I mean, maybe that's not too far-fetched. I guess we'll see how things play out with Pac. If he just goes in there and has a great match with him and then beats him, then I don't know. But then if he loses again, like, that would fit your theory a little bit better. But I don't know if he should be losing again. Like, again, he feels kind of all over the place. Uh, So, yeah, another criticism... Uh, I didn't think I'd be as critical about, but it's mostly about the segments, really, mm-hmm. and not really about the in-ring. Um, speaking of in-ring, Darby Allen and uh, John Moxley. So Darby Allen has, like, this silent film uh, where he skates to this concert carrying a body bag with Mox written on it, and then on the stage, the band puts Darby in this body bag and then crowd-surfs him and then, presumably, we are led to believe, Nick, that some of the people in the crowd continued to crowd-surf Darby from this concert to Indiana, where they surfed him out onto the ramp. Uh, and then Darby appears from this body bag where a skateboard uh, was inside uh, as well. And uh, Mox made his entrance. At least they're filming it a little bit differently than the S.H.I.E.L.D. entrance. Um mm. And they don't have security guards everywhere holding the crowd back, so you're just like following the ca- the cameraman is like following Moxley from behind through the crowd, so you get like a really good shots and stuff. So 
there is that. Mox crosses the guardrail and is about to enter the ring when Darby Allen literally comes from nowhere and flattens Moxley with a suicide dive. That was a pretty hot start to the match. They're brawling uh, in the crowd. Uh, Darby Allen does this like leaping Fez press thingy over the, the guardrail. Uh, Moxley gives him a belly over the head, belly to belly suplex on the floor, and they get back into the ring. And the match finally starts. Darby goes for this cross body off the top, but Moxley just shields himself, and Darby just bounces off of him. Uh, crowd is on fire for this match uh, as Moxley is beating on him, going into a picture and picture break. And during this break, Mox continues to toss him around, and he continues to beat on Darby. Uh, putting him in submission holds uh, like STFs and Cloverleafs and things like that. And Darby starts trying to fight back, literally fighting back. Like, it doesn't feel like a pro wrestling comeback. It feels like he's just he's just throwing hands, trying to, mm-hmm. to gain some ground on Moxley. Moxley hits him with a release suplex. He stuffs Darby into the body bag and just stomps on him until Bryce Remsburg finally gets Moxley away enough time to help Darby get out of this body bag. Darby makes a comeback, hits the over-the-top stunner, hits the Yoshi Tonic for a two. Uh, he goes for the coffin drop, but Moxley counters this out of midair into a choke, which Darby then counters immediately into a pin for a big two. Moxley uh, cuts him off again, goes to the top rope, and Darby, so it should be noted earlier on in the match, like Darby like stomped on Moxley's fingers, while they were like mm. inside the, like the turnbuckle, um, whatever that is, the I can't remember what it's called now, off the top of my head, but one of the turnbuckle mechanisms, uh, one of the metal ones, he stamps on his fingers, so his fingers are kind of injured. So Darby meets Moxley on the top rope, and he's trying to bend the fingers, uh, but Moxley drills him in the bread basket, hits him with an avalanche paradigm shift, brutal. This was horrific looking. Uh, Tony Schiavone certain that Darby Allen's neck is broken, and John Moxley covers Darby Allen for the win. Um, it's amazing that this match only went about like ten minutes, but this was just a crazy wild match. Felt like a brawl and a fight, and then ended with a crazy move. What did you think of the main event? This was. Uh... This was tied for one of my favorite matches of the night, right up there with the uh, Nick Jackson Phoenix match. Yeah. Um, I love that Darby got his mania entrance. Although, I will say, during one of the commercial breaks, they showed him and Mox getting ready backstage. Mm-hmm. So, you trying to tell me that Darby went to a concert after being at the venue and then came back? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Maybe he did. Maybe he skated off. Like, you know, Darby's a free spirit. You can't control him. <laughs> Where's Darby at? Why are four people carrying Darby in a bag all of a sudden? <laughs> Just run with it. He went to a concert. <laughs> He's like, I'll be right back. It makes sense. Kept... It does, yeah, I guess. He's so, sure. wild. He's so wild, I'd buy it. Uh, he is, by the way, Darby <laughs> Allen becoming a huge star. Yes. Uh, I mean, there are there are women in the audience with his face paint on. There were little kids in the audience with his face paint on. Like, it, it is spreading. He is becoming a big star. Uh, when I when I saw him on the indies for the first time with that face paint, I always thought that was something that was going to go when he got to a bigger place. But, you know, I'm not always right, and I, I definitely wasn't right about this. I'm happy to see him becoming a big deal because yeah. he is so talented. I just kept saying that he's basically – this is like a fly in a fly swatter kind of match where Mox is more so just annoyed at what he's doing. Yes. Doesn't take it seriously until closer to the end. Darby's just a pest. Yes. Um, it it was great stuff. It was fantastic. Um, I love that Darby brought back the body bag. I was always a little bit disappointed he didn't continue that gimmick after his match with Cody. Mm-hmm. So it's cool to see that maybe he'll bring that out for bigger matches. Yep. Um, I gave this one four stars. Okay. Just brutal, great match. Uh, I think I like this more than most. I was just really into this match from the get-go and the crowd was just on fire for it. I like, I really like the story they told. Uh, everything looked good. Uh, Darby Allen is a, a maniac. Uh, just, 
I, I don't know who's like, hey, give me an elevated double arm DDT off the middle rope. But Darby Allen thought to do this, and I'm glad he is apparently still alive. But I thought this, <laughs> yes. I thought this was a stellar main event. I gave a four and a half. Uh, I thought it was excellent. And uh, grapple, I'm a little, I'm a little below grapple here. They went three point eight one, but oh, really, not even four. Not even a four. Uh, I think it's worthy of that. Grapple's a little picky. Maybe they didn't feel like it went long enough. Uh, and sometimes I agree. Sometimes I feel like matches need a little bit more time um, before you hit that mark. But yeah. I don't know. Something about it was just something about it, like kind of overcame that it it didn't go that long. Uh, I thought it was just fantastic. Uh, before we uh, take off for uh, this week, we should. I want to note real quick that uh, the dark stuff from uh, this last episode of Dark was uh, a pretty solid episode. Every match I, on Dark I thought was good to. Uh, either good to really good. Uh, they had uh, best friends against private party. Uh, they had a good match. I think I gave that like three and a quarter. Uh, they had Britt Baker and Riho against Big Swole and Chris Statlander, uh, which was also a really good match. I gave a, a three, two. And, uh, I gave that one three also. That was a good match. Mm-hmm. And uh, main event was... Uh, Young Bucks defeating uh, Lindemann and T-Hawk, and I gave that one three and a half. So, a good episode of Dark, and I don't know, I haven't actually gone to look to see what the other matches on uh, Dark were this week, but I know that the headlining match is uh, Kenny Omega defending the AAA Mega Championship against Jack Evans. So, uh, that'll be fun. Uh, Jack Evans and Kenny Omega is the match that I didn't know I wanted, so I'm gonna I think I'm gonna have a good time with that one. I haven't looked to see what else they have on on Dark this week. And uh Um They have Trent Wrestling Pentagon, okay. uh Leva Bates and Awesome Kong, and Shanna against Big Swole. Okay. That, I'm pretty sure that Awesome Kong match is gonna be a squash. But Probably. uh look I, uh, I don't know. I (laughs) don't know what they're doing with Awesome Kong, but you know what? (laughs) You know, we'll, we'll get through it. Uh, also I want to make a note. I'm curious to see what the ratings do because, uh, WWE pumped NXT full of main roster people. Although every one of them, with the exception of one person, were all like NXT alumni. So... Uh, I'll be curious to see if they make a comeback because I did. Uh, I was going to call it in week six when AEW won, but by like razor thin margins. Uh, that was the week where AJ Styles appeared on uh, on NXT. Uh, but last week's ratings, AEW went back to dominance. Their ratings went back up. They almost hit a million on average. And NXT went back down to like 750,000. So... On the last episode of What Comes Next, Nick, I called the war. I called sure. it I called it for AEW, and I said we're not gonna cover the winners and losers anymore unless NXT wins. But it's possible that they might win this week because of all of the promotion they did for you know, Raw and SmackDown people are gonna show up on NXT. So you know, I think people were expecting like like Roman Reigns or the fiend or something. I don't know, but the highest, the highest level star they got was Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch. Um, but those are both, you know, NXT, uh, alumni as well. Although Seth Rollins, a very early alumni, but, uh, one nonetheless. So it'll be interesting to see. I may have called the war and the very next week, NXT may have won a week. So, We'll see what happens. I don't know for sure, but for the time being, I have called the war in favor of AEW, and even if NXT wins this one week, it still may just be an aberration, and it might just be an ongoing, uh, continuing win uh, win streak for AEW after. But we'll we'll see what happens with the 
uh, with the ratings. If Twitter is to be a judge of anything, which it really never should be, but if it were to be a judge for anything, uh, uh, AEW is trending number one. The Democratic debate was trending number five, and NXT was trending number six. So, uh, AEW was trending above the Democratic debates. So, <laughs> on at least on Twitter. So I don't know. I don't know if it's going to get better ratings than the debates, but uh, it was trending above them on Twitter for for a while anyway. Uh, all right. So let's thank the good people over at Fandango for sponsoring the podcast this week. Cinemageekly.com slash Fandango. Head on over there to pick yourself up some movie tickets or a gift card. For the movie fan in your life, that is at Cinemageekly.com slash Fandango. Or you can click the support us link in the show notes for this episode. Uh, while you're at Cinemageekly.com, you can check out the archives of this show. And of course, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. Just search for The Elitists. Hit subscribe, and that way you can hear us come back next time talk more AEW Dynamite from Hoffman Estates featuring Chris Jericho defending his AEW World Championship against Scorpio Sky.